Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. We're back after a short break and we'll be bringing you weekly interviews now for a couple more months as we finish out the season before we'll see you again in the new year. This week, we're talking to the fifth place finisher at 70.3 Worlds, Canadian Jackson Laundry. Now, Jackson had a horrific crash at Worlds in Nice two years ago, shattering his scapula into 12 pieces. It took him six months to get back and then COVID hit. He tells us all about why he almost quit the sport six years ago, what he's done to take things to the next level now, and how he's getting ready for his first ever Ironman this weekend in Mallorca, and then getting married the weekend after. Yes, we talk about what could go wrong there. Jackson and I also chatted about the tachycardia we both have and the experience of having your heart rate go nuts while exercising. But a warning, both of us have seen extensive doctors for tests and diagnosis. If you're experiencing any issues, don't listen to us. Go to a doctor. We'll have that whole chat with Jackson after a debrief about the latest triathlon news with Laura Sidal. Sid is back for Sid Talks, the great Kona versus St. George debate, the races to keep your eye on at the end of the year here, and the year-end PTO rankings. All of that after this break. Muckoff's new race lube is ludicrous. Ludicrously fast. The brand new Ludicrous AF is the world's fastest race lube, providing smooth and silent ultra-low friction shifting while also holding to variable weather and temperature conditions to be consistently reliable. Muckoff's research and development team have spent three years developing a formula that penetrates the chain scars, eliminating friction and power loss. It's already been used by the winners of the Giro d'Italia and 12 Olympic medals this year. Yet, it's also made from renewable sources and biodegradable. Head to muckoff.com to order your bottle of liquid lightning now. All right, Sid is back with us. She actually made it to Boulder. Uh, I like how you were texting me from the airport, like they might not let me on my flight. <laughs> that was a bit of an adventure. Yeah, I did make it. I am in Boulder. It's almost harder to catch up with you, though, when we're on almost the same time zone. It was almost easier when I was in Spain and it was like early morning here in, here in the States and then evening in Spain. Um, yes, I had a little bit of trouble at the airport in Barcelona when they weren't going to let me onto the flight. So, and this was all happening at like 5am. I'd left home at 3am. I'd had stress the night before because my PCR result. So I am double vaccinated, but you still needed a PCR result, a negative. um, And the results hadn't come through like getting late on the Monday night before I was leaving at 3am the next morning. So then I like booked a emergency like antigen test in case and then the results came through so we didn't need that so I had to cancel that that was all at nine (laughs) o'clock and then I get to and then I decided to bring two bikes with me because I'm out here for a little bit longer so it was a little bit Tetris um TARDIS like getting the two bike boxes into a car I had very little mirror vision of the car driving down to Barcelona airport. Thankfully it was three, like I said, three or 4 AM. And then I get to the airport plenty of time and then they won't let me board the flight because they say that um, my visa, which I'm on an Esther 
and um, I do have an NIE, which is the national interest exemption, which at the moment we still need. There is rumours that's going to change in November, but coming from Europe, we still need that. Um, mm. But they were saying they they needed to actually physically see the NIE and they needed to see a letter from the event that I'm going to race as a because I said I'm a professional athlete. I'm going over to race. They said, well, normally you need a letter from your governing body or the event and we need to see the NIE. And I was trying to explain that the NIE isn't a physical piece of paper. It's just on the system of US security. And then I was rapidly trying to contact people around the world in various different time zones (laughs) that matched up with 5am in Spain to see if anyone could email me a letter to say that. And the funny thing was, I checked with like I've been to the US twice during COVID right. and I'm, I'm right. very lucky about that. And I've had no issues at all. Um, and I double checked with a couple of people that had flown out from the UK and from Europe to St. George for the 70.3 Worlds and they'd had no issues. So I just hadn't thought that things would be. Sometimes I, mean, it, I think it's just like a crapshoot. Like I remember yeah. coming home from China, a race in China one time and this couple in front of me was Canadian and you don't need a you don't need any kind of a visa to get into the U S if you're Canadian and the Chinese officials, like we're not going to let them on the flight. Cause they were kept saying, where's your U S visa. You don't yeah. have a visa. And they like, we're not letting them on the flight. It's crazy. So. And, and this is it. So I ended up standing at the check-in for 90 minutes. They finally, and I, I said to them, can you just let me get to London? Cause I had a connecting, I'd got like three or four hours in London before <laughs> my next flight. And I was like, I'm allowed to go to London. I've got a British passport. If you can let me get to London, I can sort out whatever paperwork we then need to get the next and they wouldn't even do that anyway eventually they let me on 90 minutes later at which point it was like half six in the morning the flight left at 10 past seven so I'm then like running through the airport trying to go through security to get to the gate before it closed so I actually made the flight and then I got to London and had to go through um connecting and go to the British Airways desk and get my tickets for the next two flights and again they 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 just it wasn't as bad they asked you know why are you going what are you doing they had to right, ring right. up they rang up u.s security or uh, immigration security and <laughs> all the which started me sweating again but the woman came back and she was like oh that was a bit of a scary phone call having to ring u.s but everything's fine it's all okay <laughs> so that was fine so got on the flight and then was kind of not really sure what was going to happen like you landing the US, in the if we US. were going to let you in yeah exactly and it was the easiest yeah. thing ever and everyone was so pleasant and so nice and they were laughing at me that I'd got two bikes and they were like oh you're brave doing with two bikes aren't you and it was so much easier actually getting through US customs yeah. and security and border control having had the stress in Spain but yes anyway short story I'm okay. here in the US sure. in there you go. you're here you're in the US <laughs> welcome thank welcome you welcome to the US yeah <laughs> it is a mess and I think the other thing is like a lot of people um Athletes do this all the time, right? Like everyone I talk to, all you guys, you're always like flying off to random places. And all the regular people forget this, that this is like a thing that you that you all do, that you're like, oh, yeah. I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna fly to London tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> but because of all this, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks. And so we last time we talked was right before the big announcement, the Kona versus St. George announcement, the great debate. Yes. And so February I guess we should start versus with. May. February we? versus May. I think so... I, I was like, 
going you know it's going to be it's going to be in february but it's not going to be in kona and you're like it's going to be in the springtime <laughs> but it's not going to be in kona <laughs> uh are we pro con st george versus kona what do you think um one word no <laughs> me me personally i'm quite happy it's in st george i'm kind of looking forward to that um if yeah you know it, obviously kona was the weekend just gone in theory mm-hmm. and we saw everyone social media was um a buzz um, a buzz that's a good word oh, yeah. <laughs> Overflowing. I, thought about, I thought about posting you guys kona's okay like it's fine yeah but that i would have just gotten yelled at so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so I'm 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 quite excited. I'm looking forward to it being. I think from a pro perspective, we just want to race. We just want yes. a world championships. It's been kind of a couple of years. I think there's quite a, a a nice excitement in the pros that it is somewhere different and it's not going to be in Kona. And mm-hmm. whilst I still think the top dogs will still be the top dogs, kind of thing, it might give a few of the other athletes who are still very highly ranked and the best in the world but maybe don't always perform as well in Kona um it might give them a chance to get results they deserve from sort of their their pedigree and stuff um I think the tricky thing is from the age group perspective and um, well so to be I think also the other thing though to be very very clear like there was a lot of complicatedness to the announcement about like oh it's gonna be at the Ironman St. We're going to have the World Championships at the Ironman St. George race that's already happening. That'll be the World Championships. But then if you've qualified, you could do... The reality is, like, it comes down to it. The St. George race is really only a World Championships for the pro, like, pros. I know they're calling it a World Championships for everyone. But if you qualified as an age grouper, you are automatically put into the October two-day race in Kona. You can opt for the St. George race, and some people will. And I'm not saying it won't be, like, a World Champ. Like, you win, you win. You got the title. But in essence... Yeah, I mean, but in essence, all the age groupers are actually racing yeah. in Kona on the two days. Yeah. What's what's really happening in May is the pro race. That's like the yeah. major thing. I, th- I think so. And that's more and more what I'm hearing as well. And talking to Dibs, my coach here today, when we rode, like she said, most of it's like the, the JD crew athletes, the age groupers have opted for that act- October race. Well, that's what you're defaulted into. You have to opt yeah. out of it, uh, Oh, I didn't realize that. And that's okay. what I'm saying is like, the, everyone yeah. is automatically being put yeah. into Kona in October, unless yeah. you unless you opt out for St. George, yeah. or they're going to do some additional qualification to like add people to this. There's already 2,500 people racing Ironman St. George before the World Championship. Yeah. So they don't really need to add that many people, but they're going to do some qualification to add people. They might do some all-world... Uh, ranking to add some people so there are some people who are going to raise it for sure but pretty much the age groupers are racing in october in kona yeah i, th- I think yeah. so i mean i think there's a even like we know there's a, a a slight difference in sort of waiting around kona from a u.s perspective to a european perspective i think and again sleep speaking probably slightly out of turn but maybe i think u.s age group athletes have a a lot more hung on getting mm-hmm. to kona um, whereas I think European or outside America, it maybe isn't quite as big a draw, but I do still think, like you said, yeah, you know, Ironman have created this event that draws everyone in and is the center of their brand. Um, hence why most age groups are probably going to pick, yeah, stay with the October one. Stay with the October race. Yeah, I mean, I think when you talk, and I like, I've written this and we might have even talked about it some, but like when you talk to everybody, 
all pros industry people are pretty much like it should rotate the world yeah. it's a world championship it should rotate it can come back to kona every four years have a regular iron man in the other years on the big island let people do it but if you want to really determine who's the best across like a variety of conditions and yeah. places it has to rotate and everyone like all of the industry like pros industry people brand sponsors are like that makes sense because it's also from my access and financial standpoint like it's really, really hard to get to Kona yeah. for most of the world. And like you're saying, outside the US, it's still a big deal, but they don't have the yearly NBC special. They didn't like watch the Julie Moss crawl when they were yeah. kids, right? Like it's not as much of a thing. When you talk to age groupers, especially in the US, it's Kona. Like because yeah. the Kona thing has been so part of the Iron Man brand and like so sold, um, is really yeah. hard for them to like disassociate. And, and, to them, because I've talked, I mean, I've talked to a couple people about this. The idea of having an Ironman, even if it's not the World Championships, there it has some appeal, but it is still so tied up to like, no, I want to race with the best. But then you start so, to be like, is that just because you have to qualify? What if we just made it a qualification? Or I don't know, you know, well, like yeah, like you could just make it a qualification race. But or what about keeping it, keeping it as an age group World Champs? right every year but the pro world champs rotates around the different races that iron man has in its catalog of events mm-hmm. over the year and that's how you and it doesn't have to be then it maybe it's not in october maybe it's just whatever i mean i mean that makes it hard for qualifying for the pros so it's probably always right, going to be right. somewhere around there but yeah because obviously the other part that's kind of hard about this saint george and kona happening this year which we were just talking about and i hadn't totally thought through most age groupers, and there's not many age groupers who are going to do both. There are some, I know a few, but there's not many. But for the pros, they have to now race a world championship in May. They are not getting their, like, if they qualified for 21, it's not rolling over to October. So they have not yeah. earned their qualification for October yet, unless they did, like, Indiana, Chattanooga last yeah. weekend. Or, yeah. So or most racing of them, in the next or couple racing of weeks. In the next weeks. Yeah. So most of them have to do a qualification race. Yep. do the May World Championship race, do the October World Championship race. Then yep. you start throwing in like all this other stuff. You know, the Collins Cup is supposed to come back again. 70.3 Worlds is in there. Um, oh, yeah, there's Which a Breaking after... Seven. Breaking oh, yeah, Seven. Break... Yeah, I mean, when's that going to happen? Isn't that going to be the beginning of the year? That might have been thrown out the window. Um, yeah, I think when they, were, when they had originally pushed Kona to February, um, I think it potentially gave people a little bit more space to play with mm-hmm. over the year and picking their races if they did want to do the February and the October. Um, then obviously when it went back to May, it does squeeze things a lot for the pros. I think and for, like, I think probably met, possibly in hindsight, if I'd have known earlier that World Champs was May, I'd have potentially carried on through after Roth to race again in October as if it was Kona to see about securing a slot for October 22. Right. But we'd already made the decision to have the break thinking that the world champs was in February. So I wanted to have a break earlier to then build up, but now you're kind of left with, so the world champs is in May at St. George. Do you do a race prior to, so those people that are carried on and like racing now in mm-hmm. an Ironman and getting their slots for 22, I think are probably at, at the moment, it would seem have the best, the best deal or the best idea. Um, 
the rest of it's it's like do you race early next year prior to St George in May but then there aren't that many races or do you go in and and also do you want to go into St George world champs with a full distance in your legs already um but May's like five months into the year, so it's kind of almost it's, it's quite a long way in. So then you're you're needing to put another full distance in after May, which right. then is like and if if you you know you're good enough or you're lucky enough to to qualify off the first race, great. I mean the only thing I think is that because the Kona in October is over two days, there's more spots. And this is on the female side; it's the same for the men. I'm guessing that they have every year, but there'll be more female spots available for a change. So maybe that makes it better from a race perspective to try and qualify for October again. Um, but yeah, but like you said, if you then add in all it's kind of a mess. any other PTO races, and the only thing I, I guess seventy point three worlds next year is after Kona. Is it? I think it's at the end of October. I saw. Right, I'd have to go look at so, yeah. at the schedule again. Yes. It's hard to keep track. It's hard to fin- manage all this. Obviously, like you just said, the other thing is, you know, Kona in October next year is going to be a two-day race for the first time ever. Um, so yeah, equal spots for men and women on the pro side, not on the age group side. Um, to me, in some ways, that was the more interesting part of the announcement and the news that was like being, you know, yeah, all going on behind the scenes and being talked about and then being rolled out. I think we all think a two-day race is the way to go. Like, it's a great idea. Like, it needs to happen. You need to give women their own race. A two-day race, Thursday, Friday off to regroup, Saturday. If you've been to Kona, there's, like, no way this isn't going to be a mess, right? Like, there's not enough housing. There's not enough volunteers. There's not enough roads. It's literally, like, already packed with cars. And now you're doubling the number of people. Yeah. And just... I think from that, I think mainly from that resource point of view of the the relying on the locals and the volunteers. And I know a lot of volunteers fly in for the event, and so very grateful. But again, that's that's how that's accommodation. Um, but you know, it, a one day Ironman is hard work for volunteers for the organisation, um, and and then. Yet you can't do the races back to back days. That's just not logistically possible. You've got to have a day in between, but then you're effectively asking for volunteers for then another sort of that middle day plus then another race day. Um, I think the way to do it is back to back weekends. You do a Sunday and a Saturday or a Sunday and a Sunday. But, you know, obviously there are logistical challenges with that, too. I'm not saying there aren't. But if you're going to have a two day. Which I think we all, the other problem is I think we know there has to be a two day because not just, and it's not just to give women their own day, which will make it way more fair. Like I did the age group race as a woman, like it's a mess. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think there are going to be some, like I wouldn't, and I I don't know this. I haven't heard anything. I'll put it out there, but I can't, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw the legacy athletes race on the Thursday as well with the women and maybe some of the male age groups because yeah, their plan is just to, to balance it out. Yeah, I don't know if need, they've said that. They might have said that already. They have hinted it. They haven't said exactly who's going to be on yeah. Thursday, but my understanding is they're going to put some of the older men's age groups yeah. um, behind the age group women just because they need even numbers to yeah. like split it up. But besides, you know, besides all that, besides like the giving, giving the women a fair shot, uh, the problem was just that there weren't enough spots anymore. 
and there yeah. weren't enough spots distinctly in a COVID time when you've rolled over like three years two of years. qualification. <laughs> years, yeah. But then you also have this problem where like every new race needs Kona spots because we've sold the Kona dream. And the new ones had were like, like for instance, I'm in Indiana before they added some because of the two day had 28, I believe 26. Yeah. That's tiny. That's like literally you have to win your age group or you're not going like end of yeah. discussion. Um, and that's just not like that's not real like that's not a thing that well, is reasonable. <laughs> and ultimately, it's a brand that's a business, and they're expanding their races. And like you said, they're selling the the Kona Dream, and so they've got to be able to fulfill that for the for the age groupers wanting to go. Um, I think, like, does it? It it would be a great it's a great step forward if we talk about it from an equality point of view, but do we see it again? Yeah. They've kind of got to make it stay for the next few years ongoing if they want to grow the brand with the number of races they are having. But also it's like I said, that's a lot of stress and strain on one location every year, or even if it rotates around, like getting a, a, a town, a city to commit to yeah, a yeah. two day full thing. Yeah. Um, but it is a very real problem. I mean, there were 26 spots in Indiana at Chattanooga um, yeah. and now they've gone back and added some because now there are extras because there was a two day. So now we're back up to the usual 40 to 50, yeah. which is a little more breathing room. <laughs> um, but it, so it's a real issue. So, you know, I think we're yeah. all, and I even like told Iron Man this, I think we're all waiting to see, it's kind of my sense, like how it goes, yeah, and what they do from here, and they probably are as well. I mean, the yes. other, and the other thing, if it does carry on as a two-day event, it will be if Ironman have the balls to rotate the days. So, do, in twenty twenty-three, it would be great if it is going to be a two-day event that we see the men go on Thursday and the women go on Saturday, and that will be the that for me will be another true point on seeing the real reason as to why why it's a two-day event or not yeah i mean i think um everyone's waiting to see obviously there's also this covid factor we're waiting to see if any races happen we're waiting to see what happens yeah. with covid we're waiting to see if we get to have races <laughs> i'm still waiting to see if oceanside happens in three weeks because not because of california because of the military base so you know it's all a we'll see right now put a pin in that <laughs> like, i think there is still a lot of unknowns going forward like i think i'm still like yeah, we're going back into winter. So is that going to affect things again from a COVID perspective? Um, or are we, yeah, I'm not sure we're out of the woods yet. So let's put it that way. Oh, no, I mean, statistically, no. So there are still a few more big races, though. Ironman California is in, well, by the time this airs, a week and a half. Yeah, I think we've got Ironman Mallorca coming up. Mm -hmm. Then California, which is being dubbed as the male world championships. Well, it's going to um, be huge. You have yeah. Jan. Jan, I uh, tweeted that my suspicion was Jan was going to try to break his own world record, and it got liked by his coach. So, <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine Jan is training for Ironman California as if it is. Kona and that and I don't know um I, I'm not again speculation which is always great um I'd imagine he wants to put a few 
um, stamp his authority over a few other athletes and the rankings in the rest of the world um, by going out and yeah, proving a point that he does he he can he can not only do a world record on his own in the rain and the wind that he can do it and beat some Norwegian up and coming yeah, athletes. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously we're also going to see Gustav Eden, who I think we all widely agree is like the best athlete between two and four and a half hours. Um, so he didn't pick a bad course because it's going to be a like a, it's going to be a seven and a half hour course for the men. So it's just a question yep. of if, if you can hold on to that. <laughs> maybe it's combined with the sub seven project i don't know maybe they're just like rolling it all into one (laughs) and then we have daytona still and which will be back on the racetrack back with the the tv cameras lots of money and then we also have abu dhabi which is weirdly the start of the 2022 world triathlon season even though it's in 2021. 2021 and is the world championships for the para triathletes for 2021 because they weren't they they hadn't been given a world championships like the mm. um, olympic athletes had so now abu dhabi is being classified as their world championships but it's the start of the 2022 world triathlon series whatever the name is now racing right <laughs> Just in case it, you're confused, like trying just, to follow. Yeah. <laughs> but then that'll be interesting because I know, I think some of the short course athletes have already sort of said that's, you know, we're, we're shutting down for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but then others will, yeah, others I'm sure are going to carry on through. I think it's early November, Abu Dhabi. Yeah, it's November 6th, um, 7th. So. Yeah. So, yeah. And all of this, Sid, all of this affects your PTO rankings, which <laughs> which there are 300 people in the world care deeply, deeply about PTO and no rankings. One else gives and no one else cares. But you 300, man, you you guys have a lot of thoughts. So. <laughs> it's funny, like, you know, obviously, I, I think the PTO is a great organization. We are a great organization. It's going to move in the right direction as with anything there's a few bumps and hurdles and teething problems along the way um you know as an athlete body you know we didn't have the pto a couple of years ago so from that perspective we're kind of grateful but then it also makes the rankings a little bit more important now because when things are so scarce it can have a massive impact on an athlete's career um and i just think there's at the moment there's still some ironing out of the way the rankings and the points are given um, all right we'll do a we'll do a 101 version real fast here i'm gonna do it my way you do it your way because i get it <laughs> i do all need right. more education so the 101 version <laughs> is that every race has an i adjusted ideal time called the ait which if you achieve that time that is 100 points like a perfect 100 points obviously people go faster than time they get more points they go slower and that the question the reason sid is talking around in circles is that (laughs) nobody totally understands how that ait is calculated for a race um it is not published in advance it's not said like oh you guys have to do this this time and you'll earn more points so people in general feel a little I don't want to say cheated. I'm trying to think of the right word, but they 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 feel like they don't know what they need to deliver to get the it's most not, points. It's not it's not clear, 
It's not transparent. Yeah. It's a black box that goes off. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's yeah. bad. I'm not saying anything. It's just that that is the issue among That's the, the 300 of you <laughs> that call me all the time. That is the issue <laughs> is that it is a time you are supposed to achieve. You don't know what that time is. And you often don't find out till a week or two after how many points your, your, your time then is awarded based on this ideal time as determined by some like larger factor of points. Yes. So then it can turn out that you thought you had a good race and you get not good points. And then you're like, what? Like, what just yes. happened? <laughs> and compared to previous years, you score drastically lower for an actual better performance. But yeah, so that is that is sort of the controversy and hostility and the yeah. ongoing debate. And now with these like handful of big races left, people are trying to move up or down, figure yeah. out what points they need because our year-end bonuses yes and that i think you know that's where we say as pro athletes we're very grateful for the pto Mm -hmm. as an organization because we didn't have that system a couple of years ago but now there is a year-end bonus determined on ranking and when you then don't feel the ranking is reflective or just not transparent it's it, it, it is making a big difference kind of thing so I think the AI, I think it's around like yeah the AIT and that how the points are awarded. I think we all understand that they then take and your best three races average over the year, mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 that's how you get get your ranking. Yeah, and there's little quirks and stuff like if you DNF, you don't it doesn't count against you because you don't get zero points. Yes, it's just a blank. That's right. Whereas if you finish and you then get very like low points for finishing, that can yes. count as one of your three races in the year. You then have to go and like get a do a better race. So that there's little yeah. quirks like that that people obviously have uh, issues yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Also, I have a friend who's ranked 101, and it's only the top 100 that get money. So <laughs> she's like. <laughs> yes yeah it is is all about the money that is why you guys care obviously yeah I I think yeah and and I said like we're we're very we're very grateful we didn't have this a couple of years ago and so especially with times when sponsorship deals are even more scarce than ever and even tougher um and obviously with off the back of the last couple of years with the limited races and things like that and it, it is then it can be a massive impact for an athlete just to make ends meet in current world in the current climate at the end of the year or mean that they can just progress on to the next year and it just gives them a bit of help particularly around those and I, I'd, I'd say the main issue is yeah it's around those kind of the, the lower ranking because that's where it's actually going to make a bigger difference to them like you know the top 25 or the top 20 yes i'm sure there are still athletes where the points doesn't quite make sense but their bonus up the end of the day and probably the sponsorships and that's not necessarily true they're going to be okay but it's kind of the ones that are maybe in that middle ground or they're trying to break through and they need Every, and, and they've had good performances, but then it's not reflective and they need every bit of help they can get just to be surviving and to be able to try and compete on a level with the guys that are further right, up. Right, right. Yeah. You're what right now? Number 40th? <laughs> oh, I think I dropped after Roth for some reason. <laughs> number <laughs> I went, 40th. I went so. down instead of up, which was there. Yeah. Anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs> it's a sore point. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, 
it's an interesting thing. It's one of those things that's very in the weeds and obviously it's like kind of hard to follow, yeah. but it does matter to a lot of people and it does kind yeah. of affect, affect their livelihoods. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, and I, th- I want to say though, like I, and I haven't gone into the, the, the details. I've kind of skirted around as much as I can. Like it matters because I'm passionate. Well, I am passionate right. and I'm hoping the other pros are passionate about making this work. Like we want to see the PTO be successful. We know there is a need to have an athlete voice and um, and to get more messages out there and to get more say into things like, yeah, like anti-doping and how athletes get insurance and how to be a business and manage your tax and stuff. And I know that's all additional things, but um it all combines into like, I, I want to see it work. And so I'm passionate about trying to help make that work. Even though sometimes it comes across as kind of like being negative about it. It's because it's trying to come from a, a good place in the, in the end. <laughs> Whatever. Every time I ask a question, you guys tell me I'm negative. So it's fine. <laughs> fine. That's normally me. So that's all right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for the recap, Sid. And we will be back next week. We're going to, you know, keep following up on the next few weeks on the final end of the year, year's best, look back at all of all of the stuff. All of that. Sounds good. (laughs) Thanks, Kelly. Already used by the winners of the Giro and 12 Olympic medals this year, Muckoff's new Ludicrous AF is the world's fastest race loop. It's all about the perfect blend of a few simple, sustainable ingredients that make for less friction and less power loss. And it holds up over ride after ride. Head to muckoff.com to order your bottle of Liquid Lightning now. This week, we're talking to Jackson Laundrie, who got fifth at St. George 70.3 Worlds and is now getting ready for his first Ironman ever, right? In Mallorca. How tired are you? I know, like, the other day we were supposed to talk and you, like, messed up time zones. And I was like, oh, he must be in peak Ironman training. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely the peak. Uh, Sorry about that, by the way. But I am feeling feeling pretty good. Um, Definitely starting to taper it down pretty early. Like, usually I wouldn't taper quite as early. But last race of the year, I've I've had lots of fitness from, you know, worlds that I'm carrying over. So, really, um, probably I'd call it a good, like, 12-day taper kind of thing which for me is pretty long. So I'm starting to feel a little bit more rested, just, you know, tapering down that mileage and uh, feeling excited. Yeah. Really, really looking forward to trying something new and seeing how it goes. And also really looking forward to being done for the year after that. Right. We, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, obviously like our listeners, you know, they've all been in that kind of like first Ironman situation and we don't talk to a lot of pros before their first one. So what are you like nervous about? What are you trying to like figure out? What are the big kind of, there's always like a question mark before one of these, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I've done a lot of halves obviously and and kind of the longest Mm -hmm. it's ever taken me is like just over four hours kind of thing. So, uh, two things I would say, the main one is how is my body going to respond to just taking new, like sports nutrition for hours and hours and hours. Cause you know, and a half, you're done. You don't really take much in after like three and a half hours, you're kind of done. So you got to take in a lot of gels, a lot of sport drink and a lot of, you know, I'm probably gonna take a little bit of solid food, but how, how is my body going to respond to that? Um, I have done some longer training sessions where I've take, been fine. So hopefully I can extend that, uh, calorie intake pretty, pretty far and that'll give me the energy I need. 
Um, but then the other one's just how, how are the legs going to feel after like six, seven hours? See, you know, am I going to be able to run pretty well off that or not? Like it's, it's, it's totally unknown. Like I literally could not tell you whether I'm going <laughs> to run like 240 or like 320 I, or like, worse. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm going to do the best I can. I know I have the ability to, to do well and I will at some point. And the question is whether it's going to be a quick transition for me to go right. into having good Ironmans or it's going to be okay. It's going to take a few or a half a dozen before I can kind of get this figured out. Yeah, it's interesting. So you're just as a uh, open-ended question because I feel as regular age groupers because I feel like everyone in the first one's like, I don't know if this is going to take me three hours, four hours. This run could be turned into a walk. Yeah. Like I don't know. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Like I, I'm pretty confident, of course, that I'll be able to swim with with right. the same kind of group I usually do, and at least ride well for like, you know, the first three quarters, like because that's just not far off what I've been doing in training and racing anyways. And then it's after sure. that, that I don't know. So, um, you know, I typically can, can do pretty well taking in good, good amount of calories. So that should help me to get through, but yeah, I wouldn't be totally shocked if my time would be anywhere between like eight and like nine and a half hours. Okay. Big range. Yeah. So you uh, you obviously started in or well you started kind of running everything in university and you started out more in the short course right and you went pro in 2014 but my understanding is that you almost quit completely in 2015 before kind of moving up to long course and having some success why did you almost quit or did I completely misunderstand that no that's true um, I mean okay. it was probably more of a you know bad day kind of like screw this i'm done i think everybody's probably had that <laughs> but yeah I, I i had a pretty tough day there at the end of 2015 when i kind of you know that was one of my first seasons as a pro and i was doing some short course stuff and i, I raced some short course non-drafting um and i built up for this race in des moines um this you know olympic distance race and i was like ready to have a great race and just had an okay race, but just like got destroyed by like the top guys, like, you know, eight minutes or something, something that I was beat by an Olympic, which is a lot, like really a lot. And I was just kind of like wondering, like, you know, am I able to ever get to like that level that I want to? And like, do I want to put the work in? Like, cause it was either, I'm not at that moment in my mind, it was either I'm going to not be able to get there. It's too far or it'll take an insane amount of work and time. And I was kind of thinking, I was still pretty young then. It was like, what was that, six years ago? So I was like 22 and I'm kind of like thinking this is going to be easy. <laughs> so that was just where I realized it's not going to be easy. And then, you know, I did obviously decide, okay, well, we're in this for the long haul then and let's just keep chipping away each year. And and, uh, and so it was Cam Dye who beat me by about eight minutes there. And then the next time I raced at all, which was 2016 in May in an 11 other Olympic distance race, Cam Dye was there again. And this time he won and I came second and I was only like a minute 36 behind him or something like that. Um, so obviously I closed a lot of the gap. So that was, you know, really encouraging and I'm definitely glad I didn't quit. <laughs> right, um, right. So I had one so more he, year of non of shorter course stuff of there short and then course. I kind of moved over to long, long course. If you were like, okay, this is going to take a lot of work. Like, do I want to put in the work? What was the alternative option? Like, was it like, eh, I'll just go become a what and do triathlon as a hobby? Yeah. 
So there wasn't really a good one. <laughs> okay. So that maybe was a, a good thing. And like, if I had a, I don't know, whatever, if I had a nursing degree and I could have just become a nurse or whatever engineering, then, then I might've had that backup option. But I, all I had was, I think I was going into my last year of, or maybe I was just finishing my last year of, um, human kinetics. So undergrad, mm -hmm. which is a good degree and I'm glad I did it. And I learned a lot, but it's far from, you know, being a career type job that I was, you know, it just doesn't lead directly into jobs that easily. And if it does, okay. it's not like, oh, you know, you're making a great living. It's like you have an entry level position kind of thing. And that wasn't seeming too attractive at the time either. <laughs> so you're like, well, I guess I'll give triathlon a try. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll do this because I seem to be better at this than any of the other things. And I, I knew I needed to go for it. Like, it wasn't really a hard choice. Um, mm. It was, you know, I'd always kind of known I wanted to be a professional athlete and I just didn't know what sport. And I found the sport that I was, you know, good at. Like, frankly, I, if I was really good at, you know, baseball, maybe I'd be a baseball player. I just love sports and competing. And, and uh, the fact that triathlon is what I excel at is, you know, the reason, obviously, why I'm still doing it. You came from running, though, right? That's what you did in university? Uh, no, actually, I well, huh. I, I started running kind of that was my introduction to endurance sports from mm -hmm. through high school, I did a little bit of like distance running. Um, but I didn't actually run on like a university team or anything. I started training for triathlon when I was kind of in second year. And I wasn't like on swim team or cross country or anything. I was just like doing triathlon. And at that point, I was just age group, um, kind of getting started. But you were at the University of Okay, you told me how to say this. Guelph. Right. Guelph. Yes, I okay. was there. And I did not train with any of their cross-country runners, even though they had a great team and stuff. Um, I just kind of did my own thing. Train, train with the tri-club here. Um, there was a really good tr group of triathletes out of Guelph at the time. It was like the, uh, the National Training Center. It was one of the National mm -hmm. Training Centers for ITU. So I trained with that group a little bit in, in the swim especially. And they were like much higher level than me at that time. Um, so that kind of got me into the elite level of triathlon, but yeah, I never, never actually competed at a too high of a level on running or anything like that. Okay. Cause yeah, I was going to say, it seems like there's a lot of people in Guelph, a lot of triathletes yeah. and, uh, and somehow you all kind of like pick up triathlon in university in college. Do you all know each other? How did this become, how did Ontario become like a hotbed? Cause I don't think of it as like a great no, training spot. It's not. It's not really that great. I mean, if you think about the like climate and, you know, there's no elevation here and it snows in all winter and all those things. Um, the roads are okay for biking, but there's nothing great. Um, but yeah, it's just because this is where, I mean, Ontario has a big population for Canada. Like it's the biggest province. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of people in general and so they end up having a lot of pretty good athletes and then we all kind of just found our way to Guelph kind of dating back to when that national training center was here for the mm -hmm. ITU athletes um and we would all train together especially in the swim uh with them um and then so I was going to university here just by chance though um uh, I didn't okay. come here for that and then Cody Beals another really good long course Canadian um he grew up in Fergus, which is really close to Guelph. Um, it's like 20 minutes away. And so he decided to move to Guelph just to have better people to train with, better facilities to train. 
And then Taylor Reed is the other long course athlete who lives in Guelph. And he, he was going to school in uh, Hamilton is near Guelph. And then he kind of just found his way here uh, for the same reason. So it's kind of by chance, a lot of it, but hmm. stems back to when there's the national training center here. Mm, and do you guys all train together? Are you like all friends? I assume all Canadians know each other. <laughs> um, not all Canadians know each other because Canada <laughs> is like a huge country, obviously. Right. So that's that's not quite the way it works. But in triathlon, it pretty much does. Uh, right. But yes, Cody and Taylor and I train together quite a bit. Um, we're definitely we're all really good friends. We hang out all the time, and like we we definitely train more together, kind of in the off season and before racing starts because then once the race season starts we all have different schedules somebody's in utah somebody's in you know colorado like we're just not together that much um so we're going to be getting back into training together again probably starting november we're all going to be finally back in the same place get some consistency going and uh you know it's easy to train with the group it, the, and you you don't really appreciate how much it helps until you spend you know a couple of weeks grinding on your own and then you get back with a group and you're like wow this is much nicer <laughs> <laughs> and you uh so i'm thinking about like you started out with in kind of with the itu i mean that's who you like knew and in, in the center and then you're doing a uh, short course but you really started having success when you moved out to long course why do you think that is is it was it just like was it you or was it the opportunities a lot of different things, I think. Okay. Um, I I actually tried my first 70.3 distance at the end of 2016, and uh, I didn't finish. It's one of the few times I didn't finish because mm -hmm. I had a, a, like, I have a heart arrhythmia, and at that time, it wasn't diagnosed, but it, like, no, I really? had an occurrence during that race, actually before the race, and in the whole race, I was, like, in the tachycardia rhythm, yeah, yeah. so I was, like, not just... Not able okay. to produce how <laughs> I have one of these two and literally like, I have no idea how you would have done a 30.3 while it was happening. It's like the most, it was, it's hard to breathe. It's like, really like, how would you even do that? Uh, yeah. So not well, like surprisingly <laughs> more well. well than I would have thought, like, cause it, it's really debilitating, but like, I still yeah. managed to swim like with the lead group. Like this was a local, <laughs> a local 70.3 that had like our local pros. So like, in theory, I would have probably won by a lot if I had okay. a good day or a normal day, like a day like I can now kind of thing. But it was still like some good athletes and I kind of just stayed with the group. And then the bike, I just like, I grinded at like 75 RPM or 70 RPM because I didn't have much cardiac output. So all I had was like strength. So I just kind of like grinded and it was a really flat course. So that helped. And then on the run, I got to the run and I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm running like so slow and i just have no ability to run so i'm gonna stop and figure out why my heart feels weird um so anyways i got How, that okay i well, got now that I, like, I have a lot of yeah i was gonna say i have a bunch of questions now <laughs> like what do you do for that now is it does it still happen or do you have like a uh yeah so it's i always mess up the name it's some kind of a tachycardia that's very common and not... is it the svt one is the super ventricular because that's the super common one no that that one everybody gets those i yeah. think um yeah. i forget it's not that one but anyway it's like the most common type of like arrhythmia that can kind of like mess you up a little bit but it just messes you up in that you can't exercise while you have it you shouldn't right so that's it's not really a big deal it happens like once every average i'd say once every six to eight weeks 
Um, so basically I just try to avoid it by knowing what causes it. Um, it tends to happen if I kind of like am not well rested, didn't eat Mm -hmm. enough, um, had caffeine. Like I really, I don't train at all with caffeine anymore. Um, so those things kind of tend to aggravate it. And then sometimes just random chance, like if I'm doing intervals and I'm like starting really hard, that like jerking motion will actually like set it off sometimes. Um. So Jackson, you are tell- like, this is my life. I've never met anyone who's had the exact same thing that happens to me. Like, these are the exact, like, I don't do caffeine either. Starting, <laughs> stopping intervals, the same thing. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, I finally got a diagnosis after a long time because it was hard because it doesn't happen much. So right, I like, exactly. had to get the monitor and like make it happen. So one day I was like, I stayed right. up all night, took a ton of caffeine. I'm like, screw this. I'm making it happen. <laughs> I don't care. I need them to see. Cause like all the doctors before were like, well, maybe you're just tired. And like, oh, right, the standard exactly. doctor thing. I'm like, dude, I know what's going on here. Like, I kind of know my body more than a normal person. But anyway, so yeah, so now I just avoid it and don't okay. take caffeine. And if it happens in a training session, I can just kind of, it's typically the swim or the run for me. Mm-hmm. And I'll just like stop and chill for like five minutes, sometimes, right. sometimes one minute, sometimes 20 minutes. Uh, and then it comes back to normal. And once it comes back to normal, I can just go back to training. Yeah, no, this makes total sense to me, which is actually like kind of crazy. I wonder if this is like a really, I mean, we're learning more and more about hearts and athletes and that it's actually like more common than we think. Um, but that's kind of crazy. So it hasn't happened to you in a race then since that first one? Not since that first one. And okay. fingers crossed that it doesn't. I try to always like stay kind of, and it's not great, like the way that a race typically starts, like a beach start or something. Right. Like you're literally like launching an air horn in your ear and you're like <laughs> sprinting. So that would be not considered very good, but it's not likely to happen, I think, in a race because like as long as I actually rested into the race and feel good, like that's that's good for not having it happen. So the only thing is usually the night before the race, I don't sleep well, but one night of that doesn't seem to matter. Interesting. Okay. I, we got totally off subject, but I'm like fascinated by all this. So, but you were no, telling no us problem. how you got into log course and, uh, so and yeah, the first one didn't kid. go yeah. well is, is the story <laughs> is really what it comes back to, uh, at all. So, so yeah, that, that didn't go well, but then I kind of got that figured out. And then the next race I did was 70.3 Puerto Rico in 2017 in March. And it was pretty good. I was like seventh or something like seventh or eighth. And I, I, uh, I got my butt kicked by some of the, you know, the guys who were pretty strong then, but it was, it was pretty good. But like that year in 2017, I got one podium, a bunch of like fourth places. Like it was pretty, a pretty good start. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say at that time I was like better at 70.3 than I was at Olympic distance. Mm-hmm. Cause I wasn't running well yet. Like I was typically running around 120 off the bike, um, and at that time in a, in Olympic, I could run like 33, um, which is so probably, it's just not comparable. Yeah. Yeah. A little better. So it took a couple of years and like 2018, I started running like 115, 116. And then 2019 is when I really kind of started to, to run well. Like I, I had a race where I, I had a couple races that were like 110, 111, 112. So I started to really come around on the run. Um, and that's when I really would say I like kind of figured out the distance and like hmm. my body was ready for it. And I was, it took probably a, probably 15 to 20 halves before I really like could do a good one that I would oh, really? say I was happy with. Um, 
How did oh, yeah. you like stick it out through? I mean, fifteen or twenty is like a lot, right? I mean, for yeah. most people, that's a lot of races. So, how do you kind of like stick it out? Because I think a lot of people that you know, you're like, well, I keep getting fifth, I keep getting fourth, I keep getting sixth. Um, mm-hmm. What like kept you motivated? Uh, I was still getting better. Is the thing mm-hmm. like it? Even though I did a lot of them, and not like every single race was better than the one before. Each right. year, I was getting better. I was getting better typically throughout the year for the most part and uh i was still pretty successful like a lot of i had in 2018 i still had like quite a few podiums um a few second places i had one win in 2018 and so you know it was still encouraging and i was like all right well i can keep getting better and like i kind of like got better as the field got better so i like Mm. kept up with the improvements and if anything i kind of improved (laughs) faster um so it was, yeah, it was pretty encouraging, especially in 2019, once I started to run really well. And I was like, okay, if I can get down and run some of these 110 to 112s, like I know I have the ability to do well at Worlds and things. I just need to get into the position I need to be able to execute. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, 2019 Worlds, Nice, I mean, that course was crazy. And... I was like, of course, it's crazy, and I was worried someone was going to die on it. And you obviously crashed really badly, kind of coming down the down the long descent, right? Yeah, yeah. So I crashed. Yeah, um, probably like a third of the way down the descent, or something, or a quarter, yeah. and like just smashed my shoulder up really bad. I broke my scapula in like a lot of places, the shoulder blade. Um, so that was the worst part of it. I also broke my collarbone, um, right at the end of it. So anyway, it was. Yeah, it was not good, and it took, like, a while, like, three-plus hours to get to the hospital. Is it because they had, like, I mean, it was up on a, did they have to, like, bring a helicopter to you, or? I wish they did. That would have been nice, Uh, but unfortunately, it was just me in the back of the ambulance over all those speed bumps and turns and everything, and it was just not pleasant at all. Um, But, but yeah, so I got, I got to there and, and you know the france hospital they did the x-rays and the cat scans and everything and they kind of said we don't really know how to proceed so you should go back to canada really so, yeah we we had them write that up so that we could make sure the insurance still covered it oh, okay uh, so that was a bit of an ordeal but yeah got back to canada ended up getting surgery and kind of repairing three different spots that were broken in certain ways that they thought they should fix um and yeah started the recovery from there so i think i got the surgery on like september probably 19th or something like that of 2019 um and then yeah the recovery from there was was pretty tough but like yeah a lot of pain a lot of like managing the pain was the main issue but Hmm. the range of motion and stuff started coming back pretty quickly i did like as many exercises as i could that they would give me that i could rehab and then I had to get a second surgery in December to like get the plate off of my shoulder blade that was like not, it just wasn't a permanent one because of the way it had to be put in there. Um, and then once that came out, things started to like go pretty quickly because then I had my range of motion back because that plate was like right. really pinching and I couldn't, couldn't really reach forward to do like front crawl. Um, and then once that came out, it was like, okay now we can go. So, uh, then I had like three months from then. And then I did my first half coming back, um, in Campeche, Mexico, which was the first race before COVID or the last race before COVID hit and shut everything down. So I finished second there and I was happy with that race. 
Um, oh man so you basically because that's because compete would have been march or something right so it's like six months give or take after crash you come back you get one race and the compete was also one i remember like people were there as like stuff was going down like things were yep. closing in the u.s yeah yeah we uh we got let's see uh our schools in canada had already announced they were closing completely before the flight took off like we were like sitting in the airport like what the heck are we like should we not go or like right and then we're like well we should definitely go because this is the last this might be the last chance at that time we're like it might be the last chance for like a month <laughs> <laughs> so we, we went but yeah it was crazy like just everything shutting down and they, they kept the race on and but then that was the last thing they're like we're doing the race and that's it we're done right 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 um, yeah and i remember that but that's like a rough i mean so six months to come back and then get second in a race is pretty tough because i mean a broken collarbone, sure. Like a lot of people have had that, but I mean, you broke. To be clear, like you broke your your shoulder in like twelve places or something. Like it was pretty bad, right? Yeah, it was this this the scapula was basically just like broken into a bunch of pieces. But like they just had to get they had to put the metal in to get it to like the approximately the right shape, so mm. that when it healed, it could just kind of be fine. <laughs> so. So that was, yeah, the, the, shoulder, the scapula is definitely the big thing. That one's like a lot more uncommon to break. It's not that easy right. to break. Um, and it's kind of lucky because usually if you break your your scapula, you break like ribs or, your, right. or you break your back or your neck or you get a severe concussion because it takes so much force to break it that usually it means you like have this huge accident. Right. Um, so I was pretty lucky because I kind of like, I flew off my bike and like hit a post, but I hit it right on the back of my shoulder. Like I didn't hit my oh. head, didn't hit my neck, didn't do anything worse than that. <laughs> like, so it was great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The shoulder took all the, the brunt of the force, not the, you know, the important parts, my, like my so, spinal cord. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I mean, that course was pretty nutty though. What was the hardest yeah. part about coming back then? Was it just literally the rehab or I would think like getting back on your bike and getting back like, going fast on descents would also be kind of scary. Um, there's not really any descents around here. Like no. this was like, you know, mountain descent, like kind of thing. And I actually never saw anything similar to that until last year um, in 2020. And then that was kind of like scary at first. There's like some PTSD there for sure, but I kind of worked through that and it's kind of gone now, but yeah, the bike wasn't a big deal. It was, it was, it was probably, the first like month where it's just like, it's hard to even sleep or anything because there's mm. so much pain level and so much swelling, like orthopedic surgery is like pretty tough um, mm -hmm. for that and takes longer to heal and everything. So that was the hard part, but like mentally it wasn't too bad because the improvements came pretty quickly. Cause I was like at such a low point, like I couldn't even move my arm. I couldn't even, I couldn't even move it passively at all. Like it was just totally messed up. And then, and then like it really came back quickly so that that was encouraging like almost almost the same as with training and like racing over the years you just kind of keep seeing these little improvements and that's what encourages you to keep going um so yeah that was that was good but it kind of the worst thing was how i came back and i was feeling good and then everything shut down so like i kind of right. had almost like six months of of unfortunately not being able to race or do things at the level i want before COVID. So I have like COVID plus six months before that, uh, in a row. So, so that was unfortunate, but getting that one race in was really key because 
if I didn't have that, then yeah, it would have been really tough. Okay. So I was going to say then, do you think like, do you think that the COVID time off helped you rehab and build up during this time? Or was it just sort of discouraging? But it sounds like it was just kind of discouraging. Uh, I don't know about discouraging, frustrating. Like, I definitely, it definitely was not good for my swim because Canada, mm. we just didn't open freaking pools until like uh, October, September, September, something ridiculous. And then we like, and then it was like open for a couple months and then it was closed. Like we had so many lockdowns. So it was only open water pretty much all year. Mm. Um, so it wasn't good for my swimming. Like I just, I definitely didn't get back as much as I would have liked. Like I just wasn't swimming as well last year as I would have liked. Um, but now that we, I've been consistent over the last eight months and to eight to 10 months, 12 months, um, I've really improved my swim and that's kind of been the big key for me this year is having better swims, putting, getting into okay. a better position, um, so that I can, you know, be basically closer up to the front, starting the bike, uh, especially in like at worlds, that was definitely the key for me. Cause you came out of the water with who at worlds, like not in the very front group, but in like the second group, right? Yeah, I was in the second group. We were about a minute back mm -hmm. from the leaders and I had, um, the, kind of the main names in there would have been definitely Gustav Eden and right. Magnus Ditlev and Fred Funk and, and myself. And we were the four who made it up to that group. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, I literally couldn't have swam a, even two or three seconds slower, or I probably wouldn't have made it because those three guys were stronger than me on the bike. And I was like the last one to make that group. Um, so that was like, I had, I had to swim where I did and bike as well as I did the first 20 K or I would have had no chance. So okay. uh, it went, you know, and I knew that's what I needed. And I, I kind of did an altitude camp before knowing that and training for that. Um, so, you know, it came together, but if I hadn't have had the swim improvements I had this year, it just wouldn't have happened because in the previous worlds, like in Nice, I was in that like second group, but it was like farther down, like way mm -hmm. farther down. And it was just, I was out pretty much out of it from the start. So this was, pretty key for me to be I was I think I was like 14th out of the water or something um one minute behind like Ben Canute yeah I mean there was like a group like with Gustav that was about a minute back which helps obviously um but it seems like world's really I mean it seems like St. George really went well for you right like it really the race really came together um you seemed pretty happy about it so yeah yeah it was a really good race I'm happy with it I knew I had the ability to to compete up at the front and have a a good chance for a top five or even possibly a top three. So like I got fifth, obviously it was really, really solid. Um, I already have been thinking about how can I get better? How can I get to the top three? And I know I can run better than what I did. Uh, I had a good run, but even on a course like that, I know I can run a minute and a half, two minutes faster. Mm -hmm. um, so that'll be the goal for next year is how do I get off the bike kind of in the same position, but run better. So Mm, okay. training for the specific like brutal pounding of the downhill running and figuring out how to run faster downhills like you know watching sam long on the downhill he probably put like 30 seconds into me on that downhill um so yeah he was flying I, yeah. and we did huh. it twice so he probably put a minute of his <laughs> two minutes he beat me on the run a minute was probably the downhill um so i need to to train that and to learn how to how to do that better uh to compete next time around I guess yeah, that's true. It is it's, it is in St. George again, so obviously same, same course, same issues. 
same yeah. ups and downs. Yeah, I mean, I kind of hope that they change the course a little bit because they used to have the da- like it was a one lap run and the downhill yes. was like a long gradual and I can yes. I can really do well on a long gradual downhill, but when it's like twelve percent downhill, I that's where I really struggle. So the three or four or five percent downhill is kind of more my thing, and I think a lot I of think people they... agree with that. Yeah, I mean, the run course that they changed it to, the two-lap was brutal. I think they did it because of the championship issue with, like, more people. They couldn't have people going both directions, so I expect they will keep it that way. You know what I mean? Because there's more yeah. people in the championship race yeah. than in the regular race. I'm expecting so, it. I'm expecting it to be the same. And I'm yeah. in the off-season already, I'm going to, like, just go to some hills and be like, all right, how do I get <laughs> down this freaking hill as fast as I can? Yeah. <laughs> You got to run with some like ultra runners who just like fly downhill and yeah, it's crazy. Figure it out. Um, but you did a lot of things there. I mean, you also won uh Canadian nationals last year. I feel like during 2020, you kind of like, you started your own podcast, you like race directed Canadian nationals and then won it. Were you just kind of like looking for other things to do or, or how'd you get into like all this other stuff during, during the COVID times? Yeah. Kind of looking for stuff to do. Like, the podcast we actually started just before COVID came okay. in and like our first episode was before COVID, I think. Um, but yeah, it helped to have COVID to be like, all right, well, we might as well do a podcast. <laughs> just just kind of keep going with that. And then um, so that was a good thing. And what else did I do last year? I started coaching a bit. Like I coach huh. a few athletes. I'm not I, I already coach three and I'm like, I can't coach more than that. <laughs> it's too busy, but. But yeah, um, but yeah, the Canadian Pro Championship, we put that on because there were no races, like there was nothing to do. And there was all these athletes in Canada, and you're allowed to travel within Canada who wanted to race. And so we just kind of thought, okay, let's get some sponsors. We we found a venue, like, our, like Barry Shepley kind of had access to the venue and let us use it. And <laughs> let's figure that out. So it worked out pretty well. And then the PTO put up the prize purse like we were we actually started that whole like idea to put prize money Mm -hmm. for pros into like local racing um because we called them and kind of asked like how can you guys help us with this like we have costs we have this that and then they kind of called us back a couple days later and they're like look we'll just give you the prize purse just here you go just do that and then everything else you guys figure out um and then ours wasn't the first race to take place but we had like a month to plan the race and stuff Mm -hmm. So by the time that came around, they'd already done that with a few other races, which is awesome because gave pros something to actually train for last year. So, um, right. So yeah, we did that. And by the time that came around, there was a couple races happening again. Like there was one in Mexico I went to that I did terribly at, um, <laughs> and then there was Daytona. So right, kind of filled right. out the year a little bit to like make it somewhat of a season. How was a like Canadian Pro, whatever you guys called it? pro nationals are you guys going to do that again how how did i like saw it on i watched it some online but it yeah. looked kind of crazy yeah it was kind of crazy it was like a short we had to do the swim separate from the bike run and then like do the time trial start right. for the bike run um and it was a short looped course so we had to and we only had like 10 on at a time because we did the men and women separate so it was only like i forget how short the loops were they were like not much more than a mile um so it was a little crazy and technical, but it was great. Nobody crashed. Nobody got hurt. So that was good. Um, but no, I don't think we'll be doing it again. It was a okay. ton of work. It was great, but it was a ton of work. And like for 
for something smaller than like a normal prize purse of a race, which at that time was great and was like we needed something to like earn some money for the year and to give something for our sponsors to mm-hmm. be showcased and stuff. And we had Ironworks Productions do a race video, which was pretty good. Um, but now that there's other races, like there's just no incentive to spend all that time putting that together. It's a lot of work to do. And I'm glad I was a race guest, I guess a race director for one race, because now I have so much respect for race directors around the world of like all the things they have to do and think about for these races that are way bigger. Our race only had 20 people racing. Right. Yeah. Why was it like, why I've been like thinking about that. I was like, why was it so much work? Just like all the different permits and logistics and uh, everything. Well, yeah, I mean, you do anything in that you need that you want to have officially sanctioned. You have to like do the uh, whole race plan of sanctioning it, and then coordinating with the athletes, trying to get them there and explain it, and getting some fan. Like we were able to have some fans out, but it was only a max of a hundred total people. So we had to like basically sell tickets to it to that goes toward <laughs> like the pros and stuff, and then just yeah just sponsors we we got sponsors for the race so we're coordinating with them what are we going to do and how are we going to do it you know volunteers everything is just it's more work than, than you can even yeah it was the busiest month i've had in like a really long time so <laughs> <laughs> I, at least it gave yeah. you something to do during it covid did. it yeah. did and then you know i had a really good race there and i won i won my own race whatever that means <laughs> and uh and then I didn't race so well the rest of the year, but it was just, uh, it was good to have something to do. And I, I would do it again if we had another year where we had no races. Right, right, right. But now this year you've been back to racing kind of all over, you know, like regular. And then you got a wild card spot for Collins Cup uh, for Team Internationals. Did you know in advance you were going to, like, did they contact you about getting the wild card spot beforehand? Or was it like an announcement? They had to contact you before. Uh, I knew about two days before they announced it to like everyone, I think something like that. So not a lot of notice. (laughs) Um, But I had been contacted in like, they let me know that you're in the running for this and you know, you have a chance for this. So just try to plan loosely if you're going to be there kind of thing. So I had a pretty good feeling I was going to be in. Um, So I wasn't so surprised, but yeah, that was really cool opportunity to be at that. And uh, that kind of, that was kind of the start of like this kind of new, I don't know. I feel like I've kind of hit a, a new level these last couple of races, like being selected for Collins Cup was huge. Then having a really good race there was big. And then having a really good race at Worlds, like those three things kind of set me up to be kind of think like be on the next level mentally. Like, okay, now I'm up there with the top guys and mm-hmm. now it's a matter of, getting up there even more and kind of getting on the podium and stuff. So, right. Um, it's been a pretty good couple of months. Cause yeah, you, uh, obviously Collins cup is weird and you, you know, there's the matchups and everything. So you like won your matchup, which was against Joe Skipper and Justin Metzler. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how was that? I mean, tell us about like, I've talked to some of the pros about it and obviously everyone loved it, but it's also like a weird, they all said it's also weird. Like you have, you're only racing against two people. You're basically out there like by yourself. Right. Yeah, um, I think it was like the most fun race I've had like during the race probably that I can remember because it feels like different when you have other people on your team doing the same thing. And like it Mm -hmm. was I think that's something that was a little bit missed in the coverage is like how um, 
it i don't know if it feels like you're racing cross country again like you're, oh, okay. you're you just are willing to give that extra bit for your team um and like seeing because you could see the other matchups going on as you're out on the bike course um because there's like it's like a lot of out and backs on that course mm-hmm. so you could see okay there goes match one and then five minutes later there goes match two um and i could kind of see that like the internationals men which like towards the end of the races like race 10 11 12 were doing pretty well like it looked like we were winning a few of them so i was like really encouraged because i was like maybe we're doing super well because i i didn't know about the earlier matches and uh that was cool and so i definitely wanted to win the match and then when i when i did i was like i wonder how we did like maybe we at least came second we still came last but (laughs) (laughs) but it was cool because i knew lionel was probably winning his and I saw that Braden Curry was probably winning his, and then that I was winning mine, and that was three of the last four matches. So um, I figured we'd right. be doing all right. But yeah, no, it was really, really cool, and I think some the coverage did kind of miss some of the excitement of it. Um, but if they can kind of do a little bit of a better job capturing like the event and the the exciting moments of each race, I think it has a lot of potential. Yeah, it seems like the people who were there, like the perception of like people on the ground versus people who watch on tv is very different you know because mm-hmm. the broadcast was i think very different than what people there were experiencing yes exactly um yeah, yeah it, it was it seemed kind of like they had a pre-planned schedule of when they would go to each match and it was kind of mm-hmm. random um not so much like oh you know be a little more flexible and go to the matches where things are happening that are exciting. And I think the other thing that might've thrown it off was like the weather delay right? Uh, for the men. So then the matches were in different, they were in different spacing. Um, so it kind of threw things off, but yeah, that's it. That's, I agree. Like the people who were there were like, this is like the coolest event. Like this thing is going to happen. This is going to be the first one ever. And then the people who watched it were like, I kind of don't really know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it definitely has some room to improve on that. I, I hope that it comes back around and next year they, like, really nail the details that they could have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully I qualify again next year because it was a lot of fun and I don't want to get last again. <laughs> I mean, everybody, all the pros also said it was a lot of fun. It was, like, summer camp. You guys, like, all had fun, like, hung out with your teams, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And it was like Team USA and Internationals versus Europe. Because <laughs> everybody was like, screw Europe. They're so cocky. But they're... It wasn't even them. It was just their team captain. Um, <laughs> Norman Stadler was always like, we're going to win every match and we're going to crush them. And we're just like, screw you guys. We're... And then they did. They didn't win every match, though. We actually won four matches. The Internationals won four out of 12, which is a third. So right. we did okay, but we still got last because I think they the point system is what it is, but I think it needs to change to like reward winning more. Okay. Because um, the way it was, it was like three, two, one points for first, second, third, and then bonus for points the, yeah. for time. But the way that works is like if somebody DNFs, like they get a mechanical or whatever, then second place will automatically get one and a half bonus points, which is a total of three and a half. So that person could get more than someone else in a match who wins in like an epic battle where all three of them are in a sprint finish or something, which is crazy to me. I think it needs to go like five, three, one. Cause like first should always be worth the most. Like that's just sports. Right. Like how do you get more for second than first? 
That's true. That's interesting. It's funny when you talk to the pros because like they get so in the weeds about the PTO algorithms and the adjusted ideal time and like how many points every race is worth. And like the general public like does not necessarily follow this as much as you guys do. Yeah, because because that's our careers. right? It's our livelihood. So, of course, we're going to follow it like as close as and get frustrated. And like it does. It is, you know, I do think the system needs to change. But at the same time it is what it is. And like, once we've seen a, a year or few years of how this is working, it's pretty clear that like, they're going to give the most points for like the championship races where the best mm-hmm. people are there, which is how a good point system should be anyways, even though right. they're saying it's not supposed to be that way. Um, and they seem to give more points at the races where like the, you know, the, the people who should do well are there. Right. So if you go to the races where the best people are, you're going to have a chance for those points. And if you don't, you might, but you might end up with 60 for winning. You yeah, just don't that know. seems to be how it works, generally. So, um, I mean, hopefully they change it. I, I, They do have a, they are saying they're going to have a board review it, and I applied to be on that board because I'd love oh, to really? help review it. Um, okay. But maybe, you know, whether it gets changed or not, I don't know. So. We'll see. So there not, is a so you applied to the PTO review board for the rankings. Yeah, they're they're just yeah they're gonna review it in some capacity, and it would be like, you know, discussion over the period of several weeks or something. So uh, I'd be happy to to try to you know it's it's it is still our organization. They do I do believe that they listen to the pros and that they want to make it good for the pros. So um, hopefully that happens but again i might not be selected because i think everyone's like i want to say what the rankings are (laughs) (laughs) so we'll see what is the joke someone told me everyone thinks that they need to be improved what they really mean is i should be ranked higher yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes that's true um but from here i mean your last race though for this year is going to be mallorca right and then you're taking a break you're not doing any of the things later in the season is that the idea um yeah, so I'm going to be done for sure because for one thing, I just need to be done. Like mm-hmm. it's been a pretty long season, a good season, but I think knowing when the time to shut it down is, is important. Um, but also I'm, so I'm doing Mallorca October 16th. I'm getting married October 22nd. So six <laughs> days later, less than well, yeah, six days later. And then we're going on our honeymoon October 25th for two weeks. And then I have a couple other small like trips with friends and stuff. And it's just, I'm going to be very, very out of shape when December hits, let's say. Okay. So um, to try to go so and do Daytona or something would be insane. And I would not do well. And that doesn't sound good. So you're getting married six days after your first Ironman. Um, have you considered any of the ways this could go wrong? Uh, yes, but I've never seen someone who can't walk six days later. I've seen like, you know, a few days later, I've seen, you know, people feel not great, but all those things, I feel like I could still get through a wedding pretty well and hopefully still enjoy (laughs) it. So we'll see. But yeah, I'm just gonna, after the race, I'm just gonna like eat pizza and just like make sure I re rebuild my body so that I can actually function at the wedding. That's probably good, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, realistically, the way, the, the way it could go wrong the most would be if I get COVID and I can't come back mm-hmm. to Canada. So that would be terrible. That would be pretty bad, yeah. So I'm probably going to be that guy who's like wearing a mask like the last 
second before the swim and then put it on at the immediately after the race. <laughs> so you don't, yeah, that would be, I mean, that would be pretty bad. Yeah. If you uh, couldn't get back to Canada. Yeah. So yeah. let's just, let's just not think about that. Okay. So that's your plan from here. Where are you guys going on your honeymoon? We're going to go to the Galapagos Islands, um, <laughs> which is part of Ecuador, which I don't know if people know that too much, but so we're going there. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be there for like 10 days and then we're going to spend a, one, we're going to have dinner in Quito on the way back home, which is in Ecuador. Cause I, I got to know quite a few people in Ecuador when I went down for that race. So, um, we're going to meet up with a couple of them and then come home and yeah, maybe start back to work, I guess. I'll okay. probably start training at that point. Maybe when I'm down there, I'll do a couple swims with the, the fishies. <laughs> okay. It's probably, yeah. Do a few hikes or whatever. Yeah. We'll do some activity. I mean, my fiance is into like, hiking and biking and stuff so we'll we'll do that we'll stay healthy as they you know just do activity like a normal person for a bit that's that's what's great about off season is you can be a normal person if you feel like going for a bike you can but if you don't feel like it you don't have to yeah there you go and then what's your uh long-term goals here i mean you you kind of said like okay now you're you feel like you've reached this top level but you gotta like then think about like how you podium in that level so what's your goals for next year long-term goals here yeah, I really want to get um, on the podium at seventy point three worlds. I think okay. I think I'm capable of that. And um, I mean, I was only one minute from the podium this year, um, so it's it's pretty close. Like I just gotta. I mean, obviously everyone's gonna be trying to get better, so who knows? But uh, I'll get better and try to get there. And then, yeah, I think I will start shifting more into long course, like long, like a full distance focus, like maybe beyond next year. Um, if I were to happen to qualify for Kona at this race, maybe I would do it next year as my only Ironman of the year, or maybe one of two or something, uh, and, and just kind of get the experience there. And eventually I will be going for like Ironman world championship, full distance kind of focus. I think, I mean, I still got to do an Ironman and see how it goes and, right. and take it as it comes, but, um, definitely, yeah, 70.3 worlds for at least the next year is the main focus and then kind of see how it evolves from there. Okay. You're going to, you're going to, if you qualify for Kona, not for St. George, I guess it's not really an option for you guys, right? It just is set. Yeah. At this point it's qualifying for Kona, Kona. in October next year. Um, I would love to race St. George world championship for Ironman. Like I've raced, I just St. George has been good to me and it's a good course for me. And I think it's great that they're putting some Ironman championships at different places now. Um, like I think they announced another one that's not Kona for like 2023, didn't they or something? No, definitely not. That, like that would be huge news. Um, no, I think, uh, no, no, no. So, Jackson, yeah. I would know about that. That would, like the internet would have blown up. It was probably that... like a April fool's joke, not in April. That I was like, <laughs> what? What? It's probably seventy point three worlds. Yeah, yeah, seventy point three worlds. Yeah, it's gonna be in Finland or whatever. So, okay, cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I don't know if I'm going to that one. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. That one's cool. They do it under the midnight sun. You like finish like under the sun at like nine p.m. It's kind of crazy. Really? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then at I least that's what they did. For... I haven't raced. Yeah. I haven't really raced super well um, in Europe too much. Like, obviously, Nice didn't go well. I wouldn't mind going to Europe and doing a good worlds there redemption yeah. there you go um all right so here's my question for you we usually ask a would you rather and i but now i'm just curious would you rather do 70.3 or olympic distance 
hands down. Why? Yeah, I like Olympic distance. It's fun. Uh, and I actually haven't done one this year, which sucks. I, I don't think might be the first year I didn't, but, um, but yeah, I, 70.3 is my, you know, my distance now. So I never did win like a big Olympic distance pro race. I, I would like to try maybe some year win St. Anthony's or something, but, mm. um, but yeah, 70.3 is awesome. It's a perfect distance. Just like a nice, cause it takes you like what, three and a half hours. So that's like a nice yeah. solid day. It's a yeah. solid day. You're not like totally destroyed by it. Even if you have, I mean, unless you do St. George where the downhills just crush your leg. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, thanks so much for chatting with us and, uh, and good luck at your first Ironman. Thank you. Yeah. It's been awesome. Good to, good to chat. Sorry again about the time mix up before. And uh, <laughs> that was my once a year, like total mental block. So okay. glad that we were able to find another day that worked. Definitely. And, uh, and I'll just put it up to Ironman fatigue. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not my fault. <laughs> thanks to Jackson and to Sid. And thanks to all of you. If you like what you hear, share it with a friend or leave us a review. Keep training and keep listening.